0: All right, we'll move on into our Bible lesson. After the Bible lesson, we'll close in the season of prayer. If you think of another request or praise you'd like to share with us, we'll take a moment for that after the lesson so you can share that with us. Uh, We'll go ahead and move on into our lesson. If y'all forgive me, I'm going to slip up here and get a bottle of water. Miss Lila always sets a bottle of water on my desk for me, and somebody must have stole it because I know she said it there, but it's not there. (laughs) Amen. All righty. Genesis chapter number 11 is where we're at this evening. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of Genesis, but we're back here in the book of Genesis, and tonight we're looking at the Tower of Babel. Now, in our last lesson, we were looking at the descendants of Noah, and we were more looking at how that there's one race, one blood. We all come from the descendants of Noah. But in looking at that, we considered some of the results of God's judgment on the Tower of Babel. Of course we know when God judged the Tower of Babel, He divided the languages and we looked at the fact of, you know, the, the Bible lists uh, about 78 to 80 families, depending on uh, who you include, uh, that would have left the Tower of Babel when the languages was confused. And then we looked at how, although there are close to 7,000 languages in the world, if you count the language families, there's uh, just a little less than 100 language families in in the world, which is just an awesome proof that what's in the Word of God is true. And so we considered a, a little bit of the Tower of Babel. We kind of came in the side and maybe like took a scoop out of the side of the Tower of Babel, but we didn't really consider the story of the Tower of Babel. And so tonight I want us to take a look at the account of the Tower of Babel. We're going to look at the events that led to the building of the tower. We'll look at the error of the people what it was they did wrong in building the tower. Uh, The reason for and the extent of God's judgment on mankind for building the tower. And then we'll try to make some spiritual applications from what happened at the Tower of Babel that can apply to you and I today. So we're going to look in Genesis chapter number 11. We'll start our reading in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 9. Isn't it interesting that a historical event that changed the course of history forever is recorded in nine verses? Everything we need to know right here, nine verses. The Bible says, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly and they had br- and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar and they said go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth and the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded and the lord said behold the people is one and they have all one language of all the earth, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, dear Lord, for the privilege that we have to be able to come to your house, Lord, and to learn from your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the the history of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the science of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your word. We thank you, dear Lord, that it is true, that it's dependable, that it's reliable. And Father, we thank you for it. I pray you bless now as we look at this account of the tower of Babel and the Lord uh, what led up to this and Lord the results of your judgment and why you judged and Lord I pray you help us to make application to our life uh, from the lesson I pray I pray dear Lord that you will be at the children's program uh, be with Aiden as he teaches the The kids, be it Pastor Kent as he teaches the teens, and Lord, the others that are down there helping, uh, doing crowd control, cooking the meal, all the workers, Lord, I pray that you'll just bless and be with them. And Father, I pray that you allow us to plant a seed of God's Word in the hearts of these young people, that Lord, they may turn to you and give their lives over to you. Father, I pray. Bless now as we look at this lesson, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Just a funny thing to tell you here before we jump into the lesson. Whenever I was a little kid, we went to Turkey Ridge Baptist Church, and the pastor there ended every prayer with amen and amen. It became a habit. I do it without thinking. We have the school uh, downstairs. We've got nine students. We'll call on the young men to pray and all of the young men in their prayer with amen and amen. And uh, I think it was little Seth, Aaron's little boy, told Miss Melissa that he does that because Pastor John does. <laughs> amen. So but anyway, uh, here we have Genesis. We have this story of the Tower of Babel. The first thing we see in this passage is Babel's inception. As best we can tell, the Tower of Babel, the division that happened at the Tower of Babel took place about a hundred years after the flood. In Genesis chapter number 10 and verse number 25 uh, we see here the Bible says, and unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And now some folks try to say that this is speaking of the division of the continents uh, but we know that this is a hundred years after the flood and the division of the continents happened during the flood. So this is not talking about a a land division or or a geographical change. This is talking about the division that took place at Tower of Babel. As we've looked over the past weeks, there is a lot of overlap between the end of chapter number 9, chapter number 10, and chapter number 11. These chapters are all intertwined one with another. And so we see here in Genesis 10, verse number 25, that it was in the day of Peleg uh, that the earth was divided. Most folks believe that because he was not the only person alive, Uh, that this would have meant that this happened in the year of his birth. And so we don't know that that's exactly so, but it does make reasonable sense that if we're going to name him, it would be the year of his birth, uh, not just during his lifetime. And so if it were the year of his birth, I believe if you count the years, you actually come up with 106 years after the flood uh, is when the earth would have been divided there at Babel. Now, as we saw in our last lesson, if you count the families that are listed in chapter number 10, you come up with 78 names. Now, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and one other are not named in chapter number 10 as being families that were divided. So if they also were divided into separate families, uh, then you could go on up to uh, about 83. So around 80 families uh, would have been divided. We see in the last part of Genesis chapter number 10, verse number 32, it says, These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So we understand from that that the families that are listed are the number of tongues that were created at the Tower of Babel, the number of nations that were developed, the number of people groups that were developed. And if, when we consider that it was around 78 to eighty. Uh, people or families, if you multiply that by family size of 10 to 12 children per family, uh, you come up with a population of about a thousand people at the time of Babel. And so we're thinking that the world population about a hundred years after the flood uh, would have been around a thousand people. There's a lot of different uh, numbers. I, I will say that I spent Way too much time today reading a lot of different things about uh, this and and the people and how many people and then we'll look down later about where uh, Babel's located. Miss Lila was beginning to wonder if I was going to get her a worksheet and I was just reading and reading and reading and reading all this stuff and so there's a lot of information out there and some folks say, you know, it could have been around 700 people, others say around 1,200 people. The general consensus is that there would have been about 1,000 people on the earth at the time of Babel. So we see, as we consider Babel's inception, the first thing we find about this group of people is that it was a unified population. There was a thousand people and they were a unified population. Verse number 1 of Genesis chapter number 11 says, And the whole earth was of one language, and of one speech. They all spoke the same language. They were all united as the same group. They were all together. They were the descendants of Noah. Of course, the ark landed on Mount Ararat. I imagine uh, that they set up camp right there, just within sight of the ark. but the Bible doesn't state this, but I personally believe that they probably used the ark, either used it as a home or dismantled it and used the timber to build homes. Uh, I, I don't believe they just walked off and left it in a desolate world. I mean, it had been their home for a year now. I imagine they continued to use the ark, so they lived there in that area for a while Because of the size of the ark, several families could have lived in the ark before it would have been necessary to start branching off. So for some time, I believe they lived there close to the ark, uh, but as the population began to grow, they began to come down uh, off of the mountains and began to expand into the world. But at this time, they all spoke the same language. They were all united as the same group of people. <clears throat> but because of their growth, uh, they did begin to migrate off the mountains of Ararat, and the Bible says that they came into the valley of Shinar. We see, next of all, that there was a convenient plain, a convenient plain. So we see first a unified population, but they found a convenient plain. In verse number 2, it says, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And so we see that they found a, a plain, a good place to dwell. Now, like I said, I spent much time reading uh, today, just just trying to see what I could find out about this plain of Shinar. And there are some strong opinions, and there are a lot of opinions about where this plain of Shinar was. <coughs> Excuse me. Many people believe that Babel. Uh, where the Tower of Babel was eventually became Babylon. And many people believe that. Uh, Matter of fact, our professor in the FBI Institute uh, has made reference to that, that the Tower of Babel was in Babylon. Many people feel that is true. Many people feel that they were two completely different, distinctly different areas and uh, there is much, much, much we could get into that determines where the Tower of Babel was. Was it part of Babylon? Uh, Those who believe that it was part of Babylon, of course, they put them in the same uh, area together and uh, they they believe that um, those who stayed in that area later went on to build Babylon. Others believe uh, because of flooding, because of water uh, that would have been on the earth, that where Babylon's at would have been underwater at that time, so there's no way they could have built Babylon. And all kinds of ideas that go on as to whether or not Babel and Babylon are linked and where the land of Shinar is. So the Bible says that it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. As the people say, well, the ark was on Ararat. If they journeyed from the east uh, uh, from the uh, Mount Ararat, then Babel would have had to been here. But then somebody else pops up and says, yeah, but that's not truly Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat was truly this mountain range. That was over here. And if they journeyed from the east from there, they'd have been a completely different place. And so it all boils down to this. Nobody knows. Okay, that's what it boils down to. And here's what I'll say. If the location of the Tower of Babel would have been important, God would have told us exactly where it was at. It's not important. The the purpose of this book is... Although this book is full of history and and geography that prove the authenticity of this book, the purpose of this book is not geography. The purpose of this book is to point us to the Savior. And the exact location of Babel is not important when it comes to the purpose... Of the book. And so we don't know exactly where Babel uh, is, if it's a part of Babylon or not. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that in Genesis chapter number nine and in verse number one, God had told Noah, it says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish. The earth. Uh, Also, in verse number seven, uh, God had told Noah, if you remember when we looked at this passage in chapter number nine, we pointed out this was the only part of the command that he repeated. In verse number seven, he said, And you, be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God had given to Noah a command. He said, Noah, I want you to feel the earth. Uh, I want you to go forth. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. God had commanded them to fill the earth. But as they began to migrate off the mountain, they found the plain of Shinar. They found a suitable place to dwell. Now it seems that up to this point, although they were moving slowly, it seems that they were obeying God's command. They had came from the east. They had came out of the mountains. They had came into the plain. It had taken them 100 years, but they are migrating. They are moving. They are expanding. They come to the land of Shinar, and they say, huh, we don't need to go any further. We can stop right here. God had told them to go, but because of the location, because of how nice it was, that uh, uh, because perhaps it was well watered, whatever the reason, they said, We don't need to go anywhere else. This is all of the earth we need to discover. We can stay right here. This is a convenient plane. And you know I thought about this. How often do we see people making this same exact mistake? God says, here's an area I need you to grow in obedience to me. Here's an area where you need to develop as a Christian. And we begin to obey, uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but we begin to apply the principle of God's Word and we begin to grow in obedience. uh, And then we get to a place where we're comfortable. And we're like, well, Lord, I have found a convenient plane. I think I'm going to park in Shinar. And you know what? There are many, many Christians that have never grown in obedience as God desired them to because they found a convenient place. They found a comfortable spot and they stopped their Christian growth. We see here that the children of Israel... It appears that they were following God's command, but when they came to Shinar, they said there's no need to go any further. The next thing we see uh, in the inception of Babylon is that they, they produced a durable product. They produced a durable product. It says in Genesis 11:3, 3, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. Now, up to this point, their dwellings had probably been of more of a temporary nature. They were migrating, they were expanding, they were doing what God had commanded. Uh, They were probably living as nomads, whether in tents or just temporary wood structures. They were uh, living in somewhat of a temporary nature, moving out uh, into the earth as God had commanded. But here in the plain, uh, perhaps they found some clay there in the plain or something. There was a material available. Uh, They found a substance. They, They molded it. They heated it. It became solid. And they said, we have found a building material that we... Will last for centuries. Now you say, hold on, Pastor John. Don't you reckon before Noah they'd figured out how to build bricks? Very possibly that they had figured out how to build bricks before Noah. But do you know what? There are people reinventing the wheel every day that we live. (laughs) They are discovering things that have been discovered over and over and over again. Even with uh, the Internet and all the information that is available, people are continuing to reinvent the wheel. I mean, they're just, hey, I have discovered a hack that will change your life. And you watch it, and you're like, I've known that all my life. You seriously just figured that out? But uh, people are constantly learning things that were already known. So is it possible they had brick before the flood? Sure, it's possible. Is it possible that that knowledge was lost uh, because of the flood? Yes, that's possible. Is it possible that they just had forgotten and now they're like, hey, we can heat this up and this works? And so anyway, they divi- They produced a durable product. They found something that would last for centuries. They found a building material that was permanent, something they could construct and they could be protected from the elements indefinitely. Now, when you're building temporary structures, you don't mind taking them down and moving on. But whenever you build a permanent structure, you don't want to leave it. You want to stay there. And so these people began to build homes. They began to build buildings. They began to build them out of brick, and they began to realize, hey, we could settle here. We could stay here. This is a good thing. You know, I was looking at this, and I thought, isn't this very comparable to how we put trust in earthly things. God says I need you to trust me. I need you to follow me. I need you to obey me. But instead of trusting God and obeying God, we tend to put our trust in uh, finances. We tend to put our, our value on possessions. We tend to put our value on earthly goods rather than trusting in God. God had said I need you to expand. I need you to migrate. I need you to fill the earth. They were obeying God. They found a plane and said we like it here. They found a building material and they said this will protect us. This this is good. We can stay here. And whenever they combined their premier location and this earthly security that they had found, we see that they devised a humanistic plan. They devised a humanistic plan. It says right here in Genesis 11:4 and they said go to Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They devised a humanistic plan. They said, we found a good place. We found a good material. And in essence, in verse number 4, they said, we don't need God anymore. We can build right here. We can make ourselves a name. We don't have to be scattered. I know that's what God said, but it's not necessary. We can park right here. God had said to fill the earth, but this group of in his in their limited ability to see the future had decided that they knew better than God. This was a good place, good material, secure future. Why continue migrating? Let's build a city. Let's stay right here. Everyone agreed it sounded like a good plan. Everyone agreed. Hey, this is what we ought to do. And you know what's something that troubles me about this? Although the Bible doesn't mention them, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives, who had spent a year on the ark being preserved by God, were part of this group. Noah was still alive. His sons were still alive. And yet they were this easily convinced once again that it'd be okay to leave what God had commanded. Everyone agreed it sounded like a good plan, and they set out to build a city and a tower. When they set out to do this, we see that they had a city, and I guess we could say the city would unite them politically, but they built a tower, and the tower was something that would unite them religiously. Now, you remember in verse number 4, they ultimately said, we don't need God anymore. But they said, we want to build a tower that reaches unto heaven. Now, some folks have said that what they were trying to do was build a tower that would get them to God. But I don't believe that's what this verse is talking about. I don't believe they were trying to build a physical structure that they could climb this physical structure and eventually go in to the place where God dwells. I think what they were doing is they were building their own heaven. They were building a place of worship. They were building a tower where they could come together and they could go up to the top into the heavens. I'm sure they intended to build a very tall tower that would go up into the clouds. They could go up into the clouds and there they would have a place of worship. They were building their own religion. Now, I don't believe any of these people necessarily spoke the words, we're going to deny God, but they were altering. God's will and God's word. They were changing it to fit them. It sounded good. Everybody bought into it. But there was a serious problem. What they were doing was in disobedience to God. It looked good. It sounds like a real good plan. It makes sense. I mean, it's humanistically thinking there was no flaw in this plan except that it's not what God had said. They were building in opposition to God. They never consulted God about building the city or building the tower. They just decided it was a good idea. They were devising a new religion and a new way of life that did not include God. The city was built in direct disobedience to God's command to fill the earth. The tower was built as an alternative to worshiping God. They were quickly leaving God. No longer would they need to seek the God of heaven. The top of their tower would be their heaven. You know, isn't it interesting how we tend to create our own gods? You say, what, what are you talking about, Pastor John? Well, it seems that whenever men want to live in disobedience to God's word, They want to create an imaginary God who is okay with their lifestyle. Now they would still tell you, you ask them, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. "Uh, Are you you a, a follower of Christ? Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But the God that they're following, the Christ that they're adhering to, is one that they've devised in their own mind because he's not the God of the Bible although they claim that he is. Uh, For example, the Bible says that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. But if you were to meet a chronic liar, he would tell you that a God of love would never dare throw me in hell. Well, I'm sorry, but you have just created an imaginary God. And the God that you are believing in is not the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. And if you will not repent and turn to God and you uh, insist on clinging to your lying uh, lifestyle, you're going to burn because of it. The love of God doesn't change that. And we could apply this to so many areas. This was just a simple one to see. And people do it all the time. They want to devise their own God. I like these things about God, so I'll follow that, but these things I don't care for, and so I'm going to make a God that's okay with that. And what you end up doing is following a false God. We love to create artificial gods who are nothing more than a figment of our imagination who satisfy our conscience but do nothing for our eternal soul. The population of Babel, this is exactly what they did. They decided they knew more than the God of heaven. They set out to create what they saw as a better life than the one that God had prescribed for them. And as a result, they met with the judgment of God. Now, I want to point out this just before we go into looking at the judgment of God, that although it was a harsh judgment, it was a merciful act. The judgment that God passed upon the people at Babel was an act of mercy. Let's take just a minute and consider God's interruption. The first thing that we see is a heavenly visitation. In Genesis 11 and verse number 5 it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Think of this. Although they had abandoned God, God never abandoned them. Boy, oh, isn't that a wonderful truth. They had abandoned God. They didn't need him anymore, but God came down to see what they were doing. God came down to check on them. He wanted to see what he could do. Man felt he no longer needed God, but God was still watching over man. Man felt he could make it on his own. God was still ensuring that man did not make a fatal uh, mistake. You know, how many times God intervened in our life in the same exact way? It's like, you might be finished with me, but I'm not finished with you. And boy, I tell you what, I praise the Lord for those times whether it's because of disobedience, whether it's because of depression, whether it's because of whatever is going on in my life that I come to a place that I'm not right with God, that He never gives up on me. And He stays after us and He gets us back into the fold. Boy, I tell you what, I thank the Lord for that. Because God cared for mankind. We see in verse 6 through 8 that He responded to their actions with a holy intervention. It says in verse number 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Now as I said, this is both an act of judgment and an act of mercy. You see, it was judgment in that it stopped their godless pursuit. It was judgment in that it separated friends and families forever. If you go with that estimate of a thousand people, 78 families, these people were busted up into groups of 10 and 12 people that took off and went different directions. They, they were separated from friends. They were separated. They were all still pretty closely related at this time. They were separated from friends. They were separated from family forever, never to be able to communicate with them again. It was judgment uh, in that it shattered their dreams. Uh, it was judgment in that it revealed their fallacy. You know what? Sometimes that's the hardest part of correction is when we have to admit that what we were doing was dumb. It revealed their fallacy that they were chasing the wrong thing. It was judgment, but it was an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy in that it preserved mankind from self-destruction. God said, fill the earth, because he knew they needed the space. But a thousand people, you know, we're, we're so limited. We're so limited as humans. A thousand people looked at the plane and they're like, wow. Wow. This will last us forever. Look how much room we have. God said, you have no idea. You have no idea how much room you need. You're going to self-destruct if you try to corral yourself into one place on the earth. You can't do this. It was merciful that it preserved mankind from self-destruction. God was merciful in that He promoted life uh, rather than taking life. It was merciful in that He established peoples and nations and provided for global expansion, something that man apparently was not able to figure out on his own. God said, well, we'll help you with this. We'll get you started. Uh, uh, He he provided for development and diversity that it would have been impossible if they'd have stayed in one location. You know what I believe that what God did at Babel is proof that we serve a God who is interested in our well-being. He is interested in what we do. His principles in the Word of God have been instilled for our benefit. His judgments are issued for our reckoning. His interventions are directed towards our repentance, all so that we can be partakers of the life that God has devised for us. He says, I can give you a life that you will never imagine. I can bless you in ways you can't even consider. I can be so good to you if you live by the book. You see, sometimes whenever we think about blessings in God, we feel like God has a bucket and it's full of blessings and He just picks one out and throws it down at us every once in a while. And sometimes He does do that. But a lot of God's blessings are fabricated into obedience. And He gives us principles, and if you follow these principles, there will be natural results that are tremendous blessings. And he said, if you'll simply just live by the way I've put it down, you're going to have a way better life than if you follow your own reasoning. So we see that God is interested in this. And the result of this heavenly intervention was a historical division. It says in verse number 9, Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. From this division, people were spread over the face of the whole earth. People groups and nations, people groups and nations were formed. Characteristics were enhanced. More languages were developed, and the world became the diversified place it is today because of God dividing the people at Babel. God said, "I'm going to do something. It's going to be a historical division. It's going to." change the way the world will look. And God divided the people at Babel. It was judgment, but it was mercy. And we can see from here that God gives us this account. And this account in the Word of God answers so many questions. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, all the, all the, all the turmoil that's in our world because of race is answered in these nine verses. All of the problems that we face as far as conflict is answered in these nine verses, God answers it all right here in the record of the Tower of Babel. Now as we continue through the rest of chapter number 11, we'll see that God turns his attention to the line of one person. We're headed for Abraham. Boy, I'll tell you what, next week we're going to be looking at Abraham. Abraham was called out. He was the father of a chosen people. Why was he important? Because it's through the line of Abraham that we were going to get our Redeemer. And what's the message of this book? God has provided a Redeemer. And so next week we'll be looking at the line of Abraham. Hope that's a blessing to you this evening. I know I definitely enjoy learning. Hope that I can share enough with y'all that you enjoy listening. So anybody think of another prayer request or praise that you'd like?